Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. If you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by OnX Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app from the iTunes or Google Play store. Know where you stand with OnX. Uh, Yanni, can you, can you tell everybody about your roadkill moose story? Sure can, Steve. Go ahead. I was on my way home. Hard day of work. Yeah, it was late, actually. It was after, Working late. It was after six. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> after six. Beautiful day, though. I remember because I was in my shorts and a short-sleeved shirt, and at that time of the night, it was still nice and warm. I was actually on my way to meet my neighbor because the uh, post-production team needed a uh, piece of uh, metal. Um, sheet metal or something of, of the like to put underneath some food that they were going to be shooting and they wanted a different background. And as you know, my neighbor. Well, you got to plug his business for anyone, oh, yeah. anyone living in the Travis Barton of Southwest Montana. Barton Fabrication. If you need any sort of uh, welding, cool metal work type done. Steve had a, uh, what's that thing called? It's a long list. He made my three sixteenths inch thick garden boxes. Out of welded steel plate, which are cool as shit. Yeah, they look nice. He made he he does like fancy houses. I should point out, but I have him do like low grade stuff. So he did that. He we I had a stainless steel trompo, which is like when you're in Mexico and they got the the big thing of pork that spins on a spindle, and you order a taco and they shave off. Mm-hmm. They take like a machete and shave off hunks of meat onto a street taco. Yeah, I think more people would. Uh understand it though if you just said like a hero 
like if you had a Greek place and you look in the back and there's that big hunk of meat. Yeah, okay, around. that's where you like to go for vacation. I don't. <clears throat> I've never been. I'd love to check out Greece oh. though, but I'm just saying. I think most people would. That's that's what you think of when you think of a big hunk of spinning meat, right? Yeah. Cal? Well, no. Well, sure. If you do. Growing up in Missoula, <laughs> Montana, there were three Euro places. <laughs> the head like Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, Acropolis, Greek Euro. And they all had a trompo. They didn't call it a trompo. They probably called it some Greek thing. Yeah. Yep, correct. Uh, how would you say it if you're goofing on like a trompolo? Trompo, trompolo? I don't know. And if you put a Greek spin on it. Oh. <laughs> Trompopolis. Tromplacacus. <laughs> so. <laughs> Anywho, he, Anyhow, he's welded up a bunch we, of stuff. Yeah, mine was hand crank. You had to hand turn. Ronnie Bain made it. We used it once at my wedding. But it was hand turn. And mm-hmm. so he retrofitted it for a, he retrofitted it for a rotisserie motor. Did yep. a beautiful job of it. Then he made me 12, that's in, I have him do a lot of stuff that's way beneath him. He made me 12 snare supports. So weld and galvanized wire on the rebar so that you can pound the rebar into the ground, then position the wire right where you want it to hang beaver snares or whatever you're snaring. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now he's doing something that doesn't even require welding where, cause he's got a hoist. He's helping me mount a Honda jet onto my hog Island shallow water skiff. Nice. And meanwhile, he does all kinds of yeah. fancy house stuff. He, Barton fabrication, ladies he, and gentlemen. He is, and we can go on and on about this guy. I mean, he, I'm so lucky to have him as a neighbor. He is the world's best neighbor. I mean, you just. He's a fire chief. He's a fire chief, so he's like home half the time. And when he's at home, it's like any problem you could think of at your house. You're like, hey, Travis, uh, by any chance you got one of these? Come on down, you know? Just bring the truck over. We'll put it on the lift. We'll just take those wheels right Uh, off right now. That's not true, though, because he failed us on a 36-inch chainsaw bar. Yeah, you're right. He offered up a crosscut saw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you can't help you out, he has a good sense of humor. <laughs> um, but yeah, in my house for our remodel, I mean, there's a ton of uh, Travis Barton work. Handrails. Um, what, what do you call the pieces? The balusters. You know, we that all that is Travis's. There's some I-beams in there, some shelving. My whole kitchen table countertop is made out of steel and i can't tell a good weld but anybody that's ever come over that must have some sort of background in welding they look at that table and they go whoever did this knows their shit that's funny because doug Dern took a look at my garden boxes and the first thing he said is he made a joke about the welds meaning like he made like a reverse joke commented on the shitty welds meaning yes holy shit kind of like a dirt joke almost. like a dirt myth joke mm-hmm. yeah like he basically he was saying like what a phenomenal weld mm-hmm. but instead of saying that he acted like he was he was like must have been this guy's first day huh? yeah yeah huh yeah or, you know I, i'm doing a horrible job yeah yeah we get it though <laughs> so i was on my way to travis's house <clears throat> and um i right when i pulled off the uh pavement <clears throat> oh me. i forgot we're talking about yeah, talking about my roadkill moose. <laughs> um, Travis is there waiting for me on the dirt, which I thought was odd. And I like walked... specifically waiting for you. Yeah, because he, I was going to his house to oh, meet him, I'm so he you. knew I was on the way. Yeah, I got you. And uh, he walks up to my truck and he just says, uh, "You want a moose?" 
<laughs> it kind of caught me off guard. And uh, but I quickly put two and two together, and I'm like, and I could I looked down the road maybe a hundred yards, <clears throat> and I could see a blue Ford pickup truck sitting down there. And what kind uh, of pickup was it? Is it was a Raptor? Yeah, Raptor. Yeah. And, um, what's the reputation that like, when you see someone driving a Raptor, what do you, do you have like a thing like, oh, he like, I think they have a bigger gas budget than I do. Oh, <laughs> just generally probably bigger budget. Cause I don't think that's a cheap truck. No, huh. but I, I'm not. Cause I just bought a regular old F-150 a year ago. Yeah, man. You should have gone Raptor. Cause, really? uh, yeah. Cause it goes faster. Yeah, I like go nice and slow. Yeah, me too. I have no use for a Raptor. <laughs> go on. There <laughs> you bo- are. They both probably go equally as fast. One just accelerates. And it's louder. I like to accelerate slowly. Yeah. It's kind of more angry looking, more aggressive looking. Yeah. Yeah. But I am angry. Something that's primed for like a big sticker on the back window. Our buddy Jay runs one. Yeah. He likes that truck. Yeah, loves it. Go on. Big, big truck. Yeah, one of the first things he said is I was contemplating going to look at this moose. There's not much damage on the Raptor. I'm thinking, well, you know, that's probably good. Cause good for your moose. Yeah, good for the moose. Probably not much damage on the moose either. And he said it was a calf um, that had been hit. So we went to check it out. And uh, I had one other experience, which I've told you before, about with picking up roadkill. A buddy of mine, Jimmy in Colorado, once had gotten one from a herd that had been demolished by, I think, actually a bunch of honey wagon trucks. And he pulled up, and they actually had a four. You mean the like, trucks carrying honey or carrying porta potties? Uh, just disposal trucks. You okay. know, I think the company in Vale was called oh, Honey, honey Wagon. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, a bunch have been knocked off the interstate, and they actually had like a, a bucket truck or something there, just loading elk into people's trucks. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so this he, is Jimmy Miller. Yeah, Jimmy Miller, who once found a buck tangled up. I think, you know, when you unbale hay mm-hmm. and you, like a guy might unbale hay and throws all the cordage into a pile. Wasn't that, that what happened? Yeah, that's right. And found a buck all tangled up in the cordage. Yeah. And went down there and caught it free. And then the buck tried to kick his ass <laughs> <laughs> once, he, once he got it freed up. <laughs> yep. Fell right into his plan. Well laid trap. So there you are. <laughs> um, well, but back to Miller's story real quick. When we went, I went to his house to help him peel that thing out. And it was just, when we peeled it out, it was purple from Look, no, from no, nose to tail. Peeling just it out being a, a skinning, way yeah. yeah. And uh, so we turned as much as, of it as we could into dog food. And uh, I don't think any of it was fit for human consumption. And so uh, I was a little, little leery, you know, going into it. But I looked at this calf moose um, it's unfortunate because I'd much rather have the moose running around. We've been watching it, you know, since it was born. You know, the thing was probably only six to eight weeks old. Oh, I didn't catch that either. You were familiar with this particular group, oh, yeah. this cow-calf pair. Yeah, yeah, we had seen it maybe two days earlier. Oh, really? I didn't know no, that. No, she had two. She had twins. This is part, remember the story I told about how I saw the cow elk come and cut that one calf out from underneath the, the cow moose with the two? You didn't tell me that story because I, I remembered it. Really? Yeah. I'm sitting there watching a cow moose one night with her two babies. They come up the dirt road and they kind of get off on the edge and they're feeding along. And out of like my periphery, I, I see something running and down the hill comes a cow elk and it's getting dusky. She comes down, goes right up to him and then just stands there in kind of an aggressive pose. And, uh, 
I didn't know what to make of it, you know? And the, the cow moose just sort of pinned her ears back, but be, like became subordinate. Definitely didn't stand up to this cow elk. And the cow elk sort of starts chasing him a little bit. And it's like half play, but half aggressive. And she sort of starts cutting between the two uh, calves. And again, these guys are like, they look like they took their first steps a week ago, you know? And uh, it, it's getting darker, but eventually the cow moose runs up the hill with one of the calves and the cow elk stayed with one of the calf moose. Like an and abduction? It, and it, like it was a that, pedophile? That Kidnapping? It, 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 it was like that. Yeah, it was like, it was like in, in humans, you know, thought, you're like, oh, she must have lost her, her cow elk or her cow, her, calf. her elk calf. And now she's trying to pick up another one from this moose. <laughs> you know, who knows? But it was very odd, very odd animal behavior. But then you said, uh, Anthony, you better introduce yourself real quick because uh, you don't join us all the time like Kyle yeah. does. No, uh, I'm Anthony Licata. I'm uh, editor-in-chief here at Meat Eater. There you go. Welcome. Thanks. Yeah. Nice to have you. First Meat Eater podcast. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I've been... Uh, oh, you, but you sat with us the other day. Yeah, I sat the other day, and I've been on a, a hunting collective a couple of times, but I've been working remotely for first couple months here on the job, but finally I'm here in Bozeman, so... You'll be able to editorialize. Yes. <laughs> in chief. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> Oh, um, so yeah, I had some history with, uh, with this calf. So there you are, Ford Raptor. Yep. And, uh, it looks like the the calf has like a blow to the head and then one of its back legs is, you know, broken, flopping like be- below the knee. And, uh, otherwise doesn't look messed up at all. There's not a lot of blood on the road. Travis is like literally. Well, now why did he not want it? He's not a big hunter, not a big wild game guy. Um, his daughter had actually witnessed it happen. It was kind of traumatic for her. She's, I don't know, not quite high school age. Um, so I was like, well, do you want some of the meat? He's like, well, yeah, just but just don't tell my daughter where it came from, you know? <laughs> um, so I'm going to get him some meat. But uh, yeah, that's just not his style, you know? Not his style. Um, Eating stuff he found dead on the side of the road. Yeah. Or just, I don't. I just don't think they eat a lot of wild game in that house. Gotcha. He's too busy welding, fighting yep. fires. Yeah. Um. So yeah, checked it out and uh, sort of uh, talked to Travis about what it would take to get it. I kind of knew the steps, and I said, "Well, let me just call Highway Patrol." I think that's who I called. And Travis is kind of guy again to sort of you know build his character out a little bit. I'm like, uh, yeah, I'll call Highway Patrol, and he just rattles off the number. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I call him, and the guy says, "Yeah, man, real easy. Just go onto the Fish and Wildlife website, and there's an application. Fill it out, and make sure it's filled out and submitted within like 24 hours. Have at it." Um, and so we, uh, Travis and I, try to put it into the truck as it was. It was too heavy for us to just two men get into the back of the truck. So I gutted it right there on the median. I'm sorry, the shoulder. And you had a good point. This thing's only a few months old. Yeah, maybe not even two months old. Huh. Yeah. The sweetest. That's an insane amount of growth. Oh, it is. It's two months. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, think about what that cow must have to do to produce those calories. To have oh. two of them, you know, putting on that kind of weight. Yeah. and So you've. I mean, I, you're the my mental picture of your neighbor is he's not a small dude either. Nice no, tough guy. I'd beat his ass. 
I felt like it. <laughs> what an <laughs> amazing amount of growth. So I got it right there. Slide the guts down off the uh, off the shoulders, kind of a steep embankment. Goes down into the the ditch, grassy area, kind of. We, we slung her in there. Went and did the, uh, you know, like I said, the permit application there online. And I don't know, 30 minutes later, they sent me an email. It said, here's your salvage permit. Oh, so no physical inspection. Nope. No, no. Um, there was actually a, I think it was a, she was a sheriff maybe that rolled in while we were working on it. She might've been there right at the end to kind of help push a little bit oh, to, get, awesome. to get the uh, moose in there. And she didn't have much to say about it. She said, yeah, good for you. Great. Now um, the the awful the guts um, with that salvage. That's scenario. where Yanni broke the law. Yeah, I was gonna ask. But what are you asking about? That with the salvage permit, right? Aren't you supposed to remove anything that could attract other yeah. animals to? Yeah. There's something to that. Oh, that's the logic behind that. Yeah, I, I hadn't put that together. Yeah, they don't want like then a predators and scavengers oh, getting whacked. They don't want then the bear. And then you got like this whole vicious cycle. Yeah. Yep. I was wondering where, like, I, was, I thought it was like, a, like, they didn't want people to see a gut pop. And yeah. Giannis is just downloading salvage permits all year long. He's like, got a bear, a moose, a <laughs> mountain lion. All in the same spot. <laughs> <laughs> ah, my truck's got like 250,000 miles on it, so, you know, <laughs> with another ding. But you broke the law by leaving the gut pile there. Yeah, yeah. So I called in the morning, and they said, yeah, next time, you know, take the guts too, and, um, don't leave me on the side of the road. Otherwise, you're all set, man. So, yeah, we let it. We butchered it up that night, quartered it. Got Luckily, a, a neighbor of mine had an empty fridge that was turned on sitting in his... Uh, it, it wasn't completely empty. He, he has beer. I was saying you might have an energy efficiency chat with that fella. Yeah, he's got some beer in there, mm-hmm. staying cold. But uh, we moved some things around. We're easily able to get the whole moose in there. Yeah, let it sit for a week and then butchered it the next weekend and... Uh, I gave you a package of the ground. Did you eat it yet? No. It's was, some of I, the I can't like, believe you just sent me like a package. I mean, that's great. Thank you. But just a package of ground, huh? <laughs> well, to be fair, on the text message chain, you were like, no, nah, I'm not going to come help, but I'll take the tenderloins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I I, uh, I will admit also, Giannis called me right away and he's like, hey, if you, if you can, do you want to come up and help? Oh, did and you was, ask for help? Yeah. Just with the, uh, just cutting it up. Summer you evening, at, like you specifically flops. asked for help, and I said no. No, 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 just Cal. Yeah. And I, I felt like a dog trying to cut me out. Hey, uh, Phil, the engineer, what do you think about all this? Uh, I think it, I've never had moose. You, I think you were about to go into the taste of the, of the, the ground, right? Yeah. How, well, just as moose it? in general, the smell, before we even butchered it, I got to talk about this, because it was the, like, the sweetest, most like grassy, fresh cut hay, like to the point where it's almost like so pungent that it might turn some people off. But I think once you get through the pungentness, you just realize it's just like this sweet grass smell. And I don't know if it's from the the eight, the extreme young age of the animal or if it was just his diet at that time. It was definitely haying. Right, fresh season. green growth time of year. Yeah, but and, and that meat definitely, it's nowhere near as pungent, but it definitely carries that. Hmm palate with it you know what you could tell me if you wanted to impress the hell out of me you'd tell me that you drank the curdled mother's milk from its stomach yeah sorry not gonna impress you today. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I lose again <laughs> um yeah so got a uh i mean i bet i didn't weigh it but i bet you we yielded 
um, well over a hundred pounds. Are you serious? You yeah. have more meat than you would have gotten off a big mule deer buck. Yeah, it was no, it was definitely like a uh, small to medium cow elk. That's impressive. Yeah, I think I will take a little bit of that. Yeah, no, there's plenty. I don't know why I only threw in the ground. Maybe because that's all I was looking at when I was getting your turkey and the ground was sitting right next to it. Yeah. Yeah, because oh. I remember giving you some real nice uh, <laughs> halibut fillets and salmon fillets. That's right. And well, when Choice you get through that burger, yep. yeah. Choice cuts. For some more. Choice cuts. I wasn't like, hey, here's the guts off some salmon. Steve's Choice Cuts. <laughs> um, Good? Good on that? Yeah. I we feel, got a lot to cover. I feel good. Quick nipple biting story. They flood in. <laughs> you aware of this, Anthony? I am. <laughs> they flood in. I am. Guy, guy was sitting in the lake. I think he was in Massachusetts. He rode in. Because we got to talking about other people getting their nipples bit by fish. Um, Which it started out, we were talking about a woman tearing her nipple on a... She rode in and she tore her nipple on a barbed wire fence. Mm-hmm. It was a mess. And then all these nipple injuries. And the, she was in a hurry to go hunting, which hunting is what quail. I, what she I really got out of like some story. kind of she got out of some kind of athletic event mm-hmm. and was trying to get out in the dove field, hopped a fence, gashed her nipple. She said her ex husband called it Scarface. <laughs> she said she'd gut me like a fish if I gave her name, which I never did. I like her. Uh and then more nipple stories came in. But the most recent one is a guy was he was sitting in a lake in Massachusetts with his future with with, with who is now his wife. And he said they were doing that thing where you got your elbows kind of like up on a dock. You picture what I'm saying? Yeah. Like hot tub style. Yeah, hot tub style in a lake, elbows up on dock, and all of a sudden, ow! Looks down, his nipples bleeding all over. What's funny is he must not know a hell of a lot about fish because he said he thinks it could have been bluegills because he had seen, here's where the story gets weird, but I believe every bit of it. He had seen some guys spitting dip, spitting tobacco juice, into the water on the same blue- dock and bluegills are eating it <laughs> so so he figures you know what it looks like a good place for me and my gal to go soak a minute so that's fine but no that it happened before yeah i understand yeah he's aware that there's so he's i feel like a bluegill but a bluegill does not draw blood a bluegill does not bite your nipple and draw blood so there's got to be a uh, kind of a b test go Right. Yeah. It's like, it will, it will, are bluegill more aggressive with a healthy dose of nicotine? Oh, that's a good point. Maybe yeah. they get so jacked up on dip. <laughs> but I think that, that, yeah, there's bluegills around. I think there's a northy around, northern pike. Mm. And I think a northern pike gashed his nipple. But the takeaway is he suggested that you'd make a fishing lure to look like a nipple and smelled like chew. <laughs> <laughs> Nipples look like bait. They just do. Yeah, they do have a bait-like appearance, man. I once had a cyst cut out of my head, a sebaceous cyst or whatever you call it. Like, it was like on top, it was on top of my, like, you don't want a cyst in your skull. Yeah, not in your skull, like between the skin and the, the skull. Yeah, like a not scary one. They cut okay. it out and it had some little hairs growing out of it still, and I kept it. I asked them if I could have it, and I kept it in this jar of alcohol. It was about the size of the end of your pinky, and I'd get to drinking and get that thing out and <laughs> tell people how I was going to catch a perch off that thing. <laughs> And it kind of over time dissolved. <laughs> well, that's yeah. too bad. Yeah, I never got to never got to fulfill my my uh, 
It was back when I used to like to drink a lot more than I do now. You I still like to have a little drink now and then, but it never goes so far that I get out my cyst and start. <laughs> <laughs> you I, never get out my, I don't get out my cyst anymore. <laughs> dyed it chartreuse and rolled it in some glitter. If it ain't chartreuse, it ain't no use. So there's that. Guy wrote in. Um, oh, Anthony, talk about the thing that we, you were going to talk about real quick. Bigfoot? Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite subjects, right? Uh so we have this uh, great report from the Proceedings of the Royal Society, some organization in uh, Great Britain. And their mission here was to take all these samples of hair that have been collected over the years that for one reason or another have been identified as possible Bigfoot hair. Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti, you know, depending because they're all over the world. So uh, setting it up here, I think this is really important. What I found was a very interesting point. They, they kind of lay out the theories of what these creatures could be, right? They could be some kind of um, remaining population of some sort of humanoid, you know, Cro-Magnon, not that exactly, but something like that. Um, they could be some species of ex- extinct ape. But here's the one that I had never heard. One theory is that they are hybrids uh, between humans and some mammal, which mm-hmm. I, I hadn't heard that one, but I like it. <laughs> I like that. I would love to know what kind of other mammal a human could What cold with. winter night. <laughs> like if you're out in the woods and a bear comes by and it looks kind of like cow. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I thought that was pretty fascinating. I, I like, like to think about that theory. Maybe it's changing my mind. Um, yeah, that one doesn't get thrown out. <laughs> no. The one that gets thrown out is it's like uh, like the I think the lead one is that it's some other primate. Yes, right. That, that exactly. Has been hiding out. Exactly. Some yeah. primate that that is unknown, or one of those other things. So they had fifty-seven samples of hair. Can I interrupt you real quick? Yeah, please. No, you know I'll do it as a follow-up. Go ahead. Fifty-seven samples of hair for one reason or another. Some of them are kicked out. Some are carpet fiber, st- stupid stuff like that. So, but they're Come left on. with there was a there was a Bigfoot sample that turned yes. out to be carpet yeah, fiber, right? Plastic fiber. They think it was carpet fiber, right? <laughs> so uh, they end up with thirty seven and use uh, genetic testing and all these other um, scientific methods to identify what they are. And these pl- these things came from Russia, from Arizona, from Washington, Texas, Oregon, India. Turns out. They're all animals we know and well. Polar bear, brown bear, horses, cows, black bears, a lot of black bears, raccoons. One of the samples came from a human. So it must have been somebody with very glorious locks, Mm -hmm. Bigfoot-like locks. Uh, Maybe somebody with dreads. I don't know. Um, Porcupine. You can shave uh, Dirt's back and probably get pretty good. (laughs) Dude, if I I wasn't with Dirt and I saw him coming through the woods, I'd shoot. (laughs) I was like, I got one. It's real. Yeah, coyotes, cows, dogs, wolves, uh, but alas, not a single Bigfoot. Sounds like a conspiracy. <laughs> not one freaking Bigfoot in the whole stack of hair samples. Nope, not one Bigfoot. They had they had three that they at first couldn't identify, and they were thinking maybe it was like a hybrid between a grizzly and a polar bear, but it turns out they were just polar bear hairs as well. You know what the uh, the the good part about this is? What this will not change anyone's mind. <laughs> no, no, like big Bigfoot dude is gonna be like, ah, never mind. Yeah. I guess they're right. There is no Bigfoot. Right. Oh, be, 
There's Dude, no way. there's somebody staring in their shoebox right now being like, yeah, but they haven't seen this one. <laughs> <laughs> you know? They haven't seen what I found back in my yard. Uh-huh. Oh. Uh, guy wrote in, um, talking about his dad was going to buy a motorcycle, and they're loading on a trailer, and one thing leads to another, and uh, one thing leads to another, and, he, and the trailer shifts. No, the... I don't know. He's loading a motorcycle onto a trailer. One thing leads to another, and his finger comes off. His uh, the, the the his ring finger on his right hand was severed between the distal interphalangeal joint and the proximal interphalangeal joint. And the dude he was buying the motorcycle off of's dog ate it. Oh, and he wants to know. Um, he doesn't. It's, he's doing more than just telling a story. He's like, if this happened to you, what feelings would you have towards the dog? <laughs> Partial ownership. <laughs> would you be pissed? He says. <laughs> um, if someone later told me that, man, had you just grabbed that before that dog ate it, we could have just reattached it and you would have it now, I would be pissed. Could you get that? Could you make that dog puke or get it out of its stomach and put it on? That'd be even a better Dude, story. if my brother's dog, Shifty, ate it, you could have killed Shifty and cut it open and that dog would have been fine. The finger would have been fine because that dog eats stuff and doesn't chew it. <laughs> you could give it a big strip of like whatever. The other day I, had, I gave it a, a we, we were out hunting and, I, and we had some smoked Canada goose breasts and the dog was like dying. You could tell it was hungry as all get out. And I peeled away the skin off a smoked goose breast and it like didn't even pretend to chew it. <laughs> it just... <laughs> gone not even one chew when i was a kid i had a, a lab that i i was eating a popsicle right uh, and i set it too low lab came out boom gone two days later popsicle stick came out strip the strip just, the sucker right off it though as looking at like you could like you could use it again or use it for a craft project <laughs> send it Perfect. back in for a refill uh another guy real quick um another guy wrote in he's talking about like Eating his own dog. Would you eat your dog? He's saying, if my dog died, I was thinking about eating it. He said, when he factors all the expenses he's got into that dog, he said that that dog, the meat would be $270 a pound. <laughs> I don't know why. He just sent that in. No one's interested in that? <clears throat> it, it, well, you've eaten dog. Depends yeah. on how, how, how it tastes, right? I didn't like it. Yeah. I didn't like it one bit. Okay, one last thing. No one's interested in that story. I thought it was good. Uh, we had talked about, you know, we were doing a, we, we had Jason Phelps from Phelps Game Calls. That's right. And his buddy Dirk. And we got to, we got to pondering uh, who, like, kind of invented the diaphragm call. Yes. And a listener sent in a little clue. Yeah, we were guessing, like, 50s, 60s from, you know, some of the names that we kind of know that are still alive. Like, it must have been Will Primos. Or, yeah, or Carlton. Yeah. Oh, Wayne. And a yeah. guy wrote in with a clue. Yep. He says in the uh, NWTF Museum. Which I've been in. Yeah, I'd like to go sometime. Stands for National Wild Turkey Federation. There is a uh, display showing a patent from February 5th, 1867, submitted by S. McLean for the first patent for a diaphragm type. Mouth call. U.S. patent number 61. 
1486. And uh, there 18, it is, eighteen six, wow. and it looks like a yeah, current diaphragm. That, yeah, man. That, that, that's the uh, that's the crazy like takeaway is 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 that uh, there's really nothing different from what I see in his little diagram from what we put in our mouths now to make elk and turkey sound. What year did he do the patent? Eighteen sixty seven. Man, doesn't that seem one odd? year one year after the Fetterman massacre? Yeah, well, crazy. I mean, just think that's of a brutal massacre story. Everything <laughs> that was going on in the U.S. Like, it just kind of goes to show you that uh, sometimes it doesn't slow down hunting and fishing. No. Because especially, <laughs> especially. Yeah, like, when you hear a hunting story from 1943, you're like, shouldn't you been off fighting in the war? Yeah. What, <laughs> uh, what was that? 1867, especially if it's anywhere near where the NWTF Museum is located, which obviously it has. Yeah, like, shouldn't you been just coming rolling out of the Civil War? Yeah, it's like, like reconstruction hold fire, south. Hold fire, boys. I got an idea. <laughs> <laughs> you ever heard this? Yep, yep, yep. That's what the rebel yell what, was. Uh, yeah. Since you mentioned it, can you give us a uh, quick synopsis of the Fetterman? Massacre? Oh, I shouldn't call it. It's it's Euro. It's Eurocentric to call it the Fetterman massacre. I yeah. take that back. It'd be the Fetterman fight. It was in Wyoming. The um, I believe it was the Sioux. They had there was a military fort that was, you know, very much imposing on their traditional mm-hmm. lands, trying to, you know, tell it in a way that would be. I don't know why I'm leaning. Accurate and sensitive. Why am I leaning so heavy into this? Yeah. There's a military fort, and there's like a contest that the whole West is in contention. Who owns the West? Yeah. Well, the U.S. military sets up this fort. Which would be like an outpost. Yeah, and the the brass, the top brass is like, hey, man, no matter what, don't go over the top of that hill. And, and, you know, don't don't do it. But anyways, there's some, uh, some Sioux guys ride up on top of the hill, and they're like, hey, screw you, or whatever. And then they run off over the back of the hill. And Fetterman, I could be getting parts this wrong, but most of them not. Fetterman like gets the bright idea to chase after him over the top of the hill. And him and all of his boys vanished over the top of the hill and never come back. And they eventually wander up there. And I don't know how many of them are all laying there. And, dead and, or yeah. dead. <laughs> and he was the one, I, I wish I had the quote exactly, but he was very confident. And he said with his force, he could ride through the whole Sioux Nation. Mm. And when that in fact, was he couldn't make it over the couldn't make couldn't it over, make the, over hill. Top yeah. of the hill barely. And and Crazy Horse was very involved in that battle. Oh, is that right? Yeah, that's oh, right. Okay. He was one of the the ones who did the planning to set up that ambush, and was one of the sort of decoys who came out and let everybody back in. And it was a multi day thing, right? Like no, that, the, this part of it, the, the this part of it was astonishingly quick. I think really because I thought they had shown up on that hill a, the, a yeah, few days had. in a row. Yeah, they had. But I mean, uh, yeah, the, the actual, yeah, there was like, there was some preceding stuff yeah. and they had been taunting them and tormenting them and some guys went out to cut wood, I think, and they killed a couple of the guys that went out to cut wood and one thing led to another, but when the main thing happened, it was a very well laid trap. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, hand-to-hand fighting. Drove out, uh, Ben and I, Ben O'Brien and I drove out to that, uh, Vortex Extreme, which is in, uh, was outside of Douglas, Wyoming this year. And so you, you, there's a lot of Fetterman stuff out there. So oh, I, was, okay. I was relaying the story to Ben. So I was just trying to. Fetterman and 80 of his men. Oh. Yep. If you talk to like any of your Wyoming buddies, it's so funny because I love that stuff. And 
Like you can just see like eyes roll back in people's heads. Like every single year growing up in Wyoming, you got to go out to Fort Fetterman. You got to watch the guy shoot the can. I would have loved it, man. I would have loved it. Uh, why are we talking about that? Oh, you brought up the Fetterman mask. Yeah. It was the oh, same year, year after. as uh, McLean. Year after. I just have certain oh, benchmarks so, in my head in the Fetterman Turkey fight. diaphragm. Did this guy get rich off his uh, game call patent? I uh, mean, he should have been born about 100 years later, I think, huh? Yeah, a, a quick uh, internet search did not reveal any more information. I do find it humorous your thought of that being the rebel yell. Can you imagine 800 dudes clucking at calls. you? From across the field, yeah. Go to the NWT. <laughs> go to the NWTF convention. <laughs> what does eight hundred people simultaneously blowing turkey calls sound like? Probably rattle somebody. Uh oh, check this out. Watch this transition. Watch this pivot. So, uh, Fetterman, right? That was part of the Sioux War, okay. And some of the participants at the Sioux War. You guys tracking? Stay with mm-hmm. me. Some of the participants at the Sioux, uh, some of the participants at the Fetterman fight were involved in the Battle of Little Bighorn. At the Battle of Little Bighorn, one thing survived. Captain Keo's horse, Comanche, had like bullet holes, arrow holes in it, but it lived. Captain Keo was one of I think two people whose bodies were not mutilated after the Little Bighorn battle. One, because he was under a pile of dead horses, and that they, they, it seems like they maybe didn't find him down there and mutilate him. And Keo was unmutilated, and Keo had some like uh, Catholic, some like Roman Catholic clan type thing around his neck, some piece of jewelry around his neck, and his a theory is that they saw that, and and wondered if he was like a religious figure or something and perhaps didn't mutilate Keo. And during the punitive expeditions, uh, when we came out to then enact vengeance on the tribes that were involved in the, in the Custer fight, we set up a military fort in present day mile city. And they bestowed upon that fort, the name captain Keo or Fort Keo, which brings up, the Fort Keo Gate situation. The Fort Keo fight. The Fort Keo fight. Well done. Yeah. That well was done. like well done. You want to talk about some phenomenal hosting. <laughs> <laughs> is there a Nobel Prize in hosting? I was gonna ask, is there an awards situation? Like a, is there like a Pulitzer in hosting? Yeah. Yes. Um Pulitzer Prize for hosting. Uh Cal, go ahead. You you're supposed to be all up to speed on this. Yeah, so uh, interesting situation. There is a lonely but well-used, or was well-used at one point, um, boat ramp, river access, um, that is actually on USDA property, which is part of, is it an experimental station out there? Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, it's a research facility called Fort Keo. Yeah, Fort Keo Research Facility. Um, they're right out, outside of Miles City, but um, yeah, they do great. They do they do a bunch of great work, man. I mean, they work. They do a lot of they do cattle work. They do genetic yeah, work. Rangeland stuff. Rangeland stuff. Invasive plants. There's a lot of valuable work that comes out of Fort Key. Yeah, full ecosystem focus. Really, I mean, really neat stuff. Uh, um, even like I know that there's research that comes out of there too, having to do with that after a coal mining operation. Um, best best ways to reestablish 
shrubs and forbs and things when, when you're in the remediation process. So like, you know, clean up stuff afterward, not clean up, but getting robust plant ecosystems back in shape and disturbed ecosystems. Yeah. And, and ecosystem, not like monoculture. Yeah. Uh, Tons of work. Rangeland, yep. rangeland, yep. cattle and what cattle eat. Yep. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah. So anyway, there used to be, uh, you know, general public access to this boat ramp. Then a couple of bad apples spoiled that access by um, doing what every Eastern Montana kid knows not to do, which is go out and drive around after it rains out there. and Hot dogging around ag fields. Tore up ag fields, tore up the road. Um, and, you know, as a lot of folks would do, they said, oh, enough of this, and they closed it off. And then uh, a handful of groups got together, Walleye Unlimited, um, I think, General, maybe there's a general sportsman's group for Miles City. Uh, the the community, a lot of community members from Miles A lot of community City. members, a lot of businesses within Miles City, uh, backcountry hunters and anglers uh, all got together. They raised uh, a little over 10 grand, I believe, to for the very specific purpose of getting this river access open to the public again by finding a middle ground of installing a key code gate. So there's some um, accountability for folks using the access because you would have to uh, call in, get a code, uh, probably provide your license plate number, or ALS, your you know fishing license number or something like that. And uh, everything was good to go. Yeah, and this, uh, did you cover this? I feel like you did that there's not a lot of reliable um – there's not much reliable river access in this area because it, it the, the 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 river fluctuates. Yes, it's a, it's a wildly fluctuating water level. Yeah, and, and so, so there's oftentimes not a good place to launch. I and mean, this is like one that's like always, no matter what the river's doing, you can launch here. Yeah, and I want to say there's like seventy plus. You got to go about seventy miles, give or take, to the next like very reliable access, unless you use this kind of below watermark access with, which, which is like kind of illegal. illegal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, it's always better to have these established things. It's just better for, for everything centralizes the human impact on, uh, areas. So, um, everything was going around well. And then the, uh, USDA came to the conclusion that this, that it had to be, uh, done, through slightly different means, and it really slowed the process down. So, and meanwhile, US, people had spent a lot of money specifically to address the problem, and they had the goal line like right there. It's like this is going to be done by this date, yeah. And we have this money very specifically. It's not just going to this general pot; it's going to this very specific thing that everybody wants, and everybody's behind it. And here's this date coming down the road, and you know, government just doesn't move that fast. Um, and so they're trying to get uh, basically an easement through USDA land that uh, I believe Montana Fish and Game would then be in charge of that easement. And yeah, tr- people trying to work through sort of a legal process by which this could happen and this donated yeah. money could get put to purpose. But as you can imagine, if you're Joe Walleye or definitely Joe Duck or Goose Hunter and the season's coming down the pipe and you were all fired up about this access and you probably pitched a couple of bucks in the pot at a pint night or something 
now you're starting to get pretty pissed and fingers are starting to get pointed. And um, so what would be very, very helpful if you like to recreate uh, in a smart state like the state of Montana that has awesome water access laws, it'd be very helpful if you contacted your duly elected officials or, you know, if you happen to know a guy who looks like uh, or knows Sonny Purdue, or if you know Sonny Purdue, you may want to give him a call. That would be extremely helpful. Um, here in the state of Montana, if you got a hold of Steve Daines, uh, Senator Tester, or uh, Greg Gianforte. And yeah, let- so Senators Tester, Sen- Senators Tester and Daines, Representative Greg Gianforte, and ask him to try to help work with uh, FWP your Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, and the USDARS Regional Plains Office in Fort Collins, Colorado. Be try very to, helpful. To try to navigate this thing and figure out something that's going to work for everybody. And this is all of like a very positive thing, is just moving slow. And, and um, we got a lot of really good-intentioned folks with their money tied up. Yeah, it's not like there's not like a bad guy in it. It's just a matter of, you know, you got to have mechanisms in place to do this kind of stuff. And I think that yeah. at, at this point, it just seems like a little bit of political muscle would go a long way in helping grease this up. Because, yeah. again, man, you get people to come together with like this real common cause. Like who can argue with, you know, the, the, the importance of good river access, man. Like people came in and pitched in the money and it's just kind of a shame to have that pot of money sitting there. Yeah, and, and again, like anybody who's built anything, like you know eventually you hit a few speed bumps that slows down that uh, finished construction date. Um, and that's really what's happening here. So, uh, But phone calls, emails, um, you know, and again, if you uh, know some folks who know the folks, um, don't be afraid to give them a shout. It's a, a real good deal. Oh, yeah, you know, there's one more thing you can do. If you go to www.backcountryhunters.org, forward slash open fort keo and uh i guess it's important to note that keo is spelled k-e-o-g-h um there's a bunch of good information on the whole story that i just told you and i think it'll even give you some outreach options ladies and gentlemen ryan callahan oh, oh if you want more from cal cal's week in review yeah it's the only cal's good thing on the internet <laughs> It's the only thing on the internet that's of any value is Cal's Week in Review. It's, oh, thank you. It's now being used in school curriculums. Is that right, Cal? Yeah, we got, uh, <laughs> I would, honestly, I would love, 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 love if the uh, person who wrote the iTunes review for Cal's Week in Review that says you are making this uh, mandatory listening for your high school science class. Dude, Dude, please reach great. out to me. <laughs> yeah, Cal's Week in Review is a weekly roundup of wildlife and science news. It's fun, and uh, hopefully you learn some good things, too. Kids love so. it because it's got good sound effects. Yeah, courtesy <clears throat> of uh, Phil. Phil's the sound effects Phil the guy. engineer. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside. Planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing. Taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do? For your family this spring, you can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times, I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, 
We got serious about life insurance, and man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Hey, everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who over recent months I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, Watch that video, and in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now, for the first time, They're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company. Working knives for working people. 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. Rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. Okay, the next thing we have to talk about is I got a, um, if you if you came to me and said, who's the person you would, who's the person that you would uh, least want to be unhappy with you? I would say like the, Mossad, Israeli Mossad, <laughs> and then I'd say Doug Dern. Like if it was personal, that that's like what I would like. like that would be the order. I want to know where I fall on the list. Oh, you've been mad at me before, haven't you? 
<laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I would, I would, if someone told did, Yanni, if, did, if I came into work and someone's like, Yanni's mad at you, I'd be like, oh, I'll talk to him. I mean, what could it be? <laughs> uh, yeah, I wouldn't be like worried about it. I all feel right. like we'd get through it. Yeah, for sure. Um, Doug's all mad at me because we we were talking to, and and we're doing something we don't normally do is Doug, Doug Dern's joined us by phone. Um, we kind of ambushed him. We we were talking to some guys from QDMA on a on a recent episode. I think it was called the episode was called Managing Bambi. We were talking about a lot of stuff around white-tailed deer. Um, oh, because it's kind of a crash course in all things white-tailed deer in the news and, and whatnot. And I made a mistake. I made a regrettable. I made a regrettable. I, I I was, you know, when you're trying to make a point now and then, and you kind of oversell the point. There should be a word for that. I remember Limbaugh would, uh, Rush Limbaugh once said something. It's not quite it. He said, like, demonstrating absurdity by being absurd. Meaning you, like, when you're, like, arguing, you float some, like, intentionally, like, absurd point as a rhetorical strategy. And I had said how, and I somehow got on CWD, chronic wasting disease, which is very serious. And I made some. I made a comment that I regret. It was like it didn't. It didn't capture my sentiment. I made a comment I regret where I said, "The only thing I'm worried about with CWD is that someone would catch it, that it would jump the species barrier." And and I had said some stupid thing like, "Oh, there's all kinds of stuff that there's all kinds of stuff that kills deer. So who cares? It's just one more thing that kills deer." And the point I was trying to make, and I didn't make it well. The point I was trying to make, I guess, is like it was that I was saying the thing that really, really scares me. The thing that really, really scares me is that hunters um, would contract chronic wasting disease from eating deer meat. Like, that is extremely scary to me. And somehow some people interpreted that to be that I don't take CWD seriously, or I don't think it's a serious thing, or I'm somehow not concerned about it. It's like, that's definitely not true. Uh, But... The thing that most scares me, the thing that most scares me was that deer meat would somehow be determined to be or would become um, essentially inedible from infected animals. That super, like, that, like, I feel that you could hold that belief. And I, my, my feelings on CWD are more complicated than that. But you could hold that belief and use just that as a thing for all the reason in the world why we should be researching, fighting, stopping prevention of. So I don't know how that got taken to be like, I'm like light on my concerns about CWD. But Doug, uh, who's joining us here, Doug explained to me, like, let's say uh, God came down and said, I hereby uh, declare that humans cannot get CWD. I've designed this disease to be uh, incapable of infecting a human. Why would people, uh, why, if you knew that to be true, why does CWD matter? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that um, if I was to make a list of people who were upset with, uh, that I wouldn't want mad at me, the first one would be my wife. And the second one would be Steve Ranella, so I guess... Yeah, but the Mossad will kill you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've met my wife. Um, So to answer your question, the um, 
you know, there's and, and you know the other thing you said is that there's all kinds of stuff that that kill deer, and that is very true. And all of the different diseases that kill deer um, don't do it in a pretty way. Um, EHD doesn't kill them in a pretty way; it kills them quick. CWD doesn't kill them in a you know, there's no pretty way of, of deer dying. So <clears throat> beyond that, CWD um, has a, a has an impact on the resource that isn't. Um, uh, just short term, because it persists in the environment, because it persists within the herd, once you have it, you essentially don't get rid of it. So um, that then goes on to if you don't have it, you don't want it in your area. Yeah, it's not like, um, like e, meaning like EHD or what you know, people call it, sometimes referred to as blue tongue. Like it passes through. It passes through. Deer get sick, some deer die, it goes away, and then maybe you don't see it again for 20 years. Right, and it's all dependent on weather and that midge and drought and all of that. And interestingly, one of the things that I've learned um, recently about EHD was that there were deer that were taken from northern climates and taken to um, Texas and places like that for breeding purposes, and those deer were insured um, their lives were insured, you know, by Lloyd's of London or, or some uh, insurance company like that. And they would take those deer to um, someplace like Texas where they didn't really have a problem with the HD because the deer had developed an immunity to it over time. So they take these bucks down there for breeding purposes, they'd get EHD and die. Oh. And then they were collecting on the insurance policy, and now they don't insure deer anymore. But of course, what also has changed is they now take those deer to um, a breeding facility in a little tube. Um, they actually take semen there um, now. So that's one of the things that they've learned in that. So that, that is a big difference, that the EHD dies out. And then it, the conditions have to be right for it again, to, to appear again, a drought condition. And actually, Spencer uh, wrote a really good um, a summary about EHD the other day that um, I read on your website that I, I thought was really good. Yeah, at TheMediator.com, um, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's the, the, the biggest thing. Once you have it, you, you have it. So then, um, and it's going it, it will then, and then can have an impact on the resource birth, both in the short and long term. Um, south of me here, um, prevalence in bucks, and we talked about this on the, uh, with the QDM guys, that prevalence has gotten real high. We, south of us, we have over 55% prevalence in bucks. Um, one of uh, the landowners down there who um, has reached out to me and I've spent some time with bought his land for to manage for big bucks and, and, and balance herd and all those QDM um, ideas. Um, and his, he essentially says, no, we don't see big bucks anymore. They don't get food. Um, 50, 55% of the, 55% of the bucks on the ground at one given time are infected with CWD, which is always fatal. That, that are always that is always fatal. Fifty five percent of you know prevalence is of course based on the data that they have and, and um, the number of tests and they're able to extrapolate all these numbers. Um, that uh, prevalence is at fifty five percent in bucks, thirty five percent in adult does. Um, it's less both in yearling bucks and yearling does, but it's even showing up uh, down there in fawns as well. So if an always fatal disease that's going to kill that deer in two years or something related to that disease, you know, it's like, it's sort of like, um, oh, cancer or, or, you know, any, any other kind of thing you get, you get sick from it and you're, 
as your immune system, your body becomes weaker and you end up dying, maybe you don't die of cancer or you don't die of, you don't die of lung cancer as a smoker, but you die of, of, uh, uh, you know, something else that, that pneumonia, your immune system in your body. pneumonia, exactly. And that's actually what a fair number of deer, um, with CWD die from is uh, things like, uh, pneumonia. Um, uh, you know, um, uh, choking on their own, um, you know, spit and vomit, things or not vomit, but um, their own bodily fluids, that sort of thing, because they don't have that uh, ability to um, to do it anymore. So that idea that, well, deer aren't, <clears throat> well, that deer didn't die of CWD, it got, um, it, it, it died of pneumonia, or, you know, it's, it, it, was, it, it got killed by a predator more easily because it, its uh, defense system was down, or they, because of what it does to their brain, they, they've walked, you know, maybe walking out on the highway more or something like that. So there's a whole number of things that, uh, both it, uh, sicknesses and other things that can happen um, as a result. So but if you want to, oh, that, go ahead. No, go ahead, Doug. But because that deer, thanks. But because that deer is going to die of the disease within two years, imagine a year old uh, or a yearling buck or a, a, a another buck. He's not going to make it to be a, 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 a he's not going to make it to be a three year old deer. And that's what we're starting to see now. So even though in our area they predicted, or south of here, the endemic area, when they predicted that um, 17 years ago, they being the Department of Natural Resources and some of the other efforts, that it's going to have a huge impact on the deer. Our deer population is still going up. But what's happened, because we're, 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 we just have such a great place for growing deer, that the models didn't maybe take that into consideration. But what is happening is it's trending to a, a younger deer population. Um, yeah. And then of course, so, um, so there's that, I mean, that's really the biggest, the, the bigger impact on the resource is, um, you know, is my concern. And I think Matt from QDMA, um, who, you know, did a great job. And I actually talked with him, uh, fairly regularly about this and some other issues, um, did a great job of, of sort of explaining, uh, you know, some of those, those things after the fact. So if, um, if, if, uh, I know you're out working right now, but, uh, quick question for you and we'll, we'll pick this up. Cause you, you know, you you're on the show all the time. We'll talk more about it, but real quick, like you've, you've emerged as like a CWD crusader, right? Like you're like the, you might even be like some people in your area might think you're like the crazy CWD guy because you're really driving awareness in your area. And, and I don't, I'm not trying to joke cause you're doing it in a very constructive way way of, of really looking for striving for solutions and striving for consensus. But I just want to ask you out all fairness, because you were like pissed at me about what I said, because in some ways it would be that, that you've kind of made this in a way your, your life's work and then someone like demeaning that. But if you knew if that you were in the scenario where, uh, let's say you're a 10 right now, you're like a, on a number one to 10, you're a 10 in your fight on CWD. If you knew that there was no chance for human infection, do you think you'd still be a 10? Or would you honestly be down in the 7, 6, 7, 8 range? Um, one, I like to think I'm a CWD Avenger. Um, and two, I would be a 10. Really? And the reason for it is the impact on the resource. It's conservation. I, yes, I concern myself about um, eating venison um, and, and people eating venison, but the fact that it, what it does to 
what it does to individual deer, but then also the impact on the resource. Um, I really would. I mean, honestly, some of the things, I, I mean, you know, I used to do buck management. We don't do that anymore. I'd love to be able to do that again. Um, and could I, and could I do that? Well, sure. We would still have, and we, we killed some nice bucks here last year, but, um, we would still, that, that would continue to happen. But as that prevalence gets higher and higher, we, um, deer are, they're dying and they're, they're, and they're not reaching those older ages. So we're not getting to that older, older age class. We can debate whether deer actually need to have age class, uh, deer across all the age classes or not, whether that's you know important to the resource or not. But, um, I'd love to see that again. I mean, there's nothing like seeing a big giant buck. Um, and so, yeah, I would be concerned about it. And I would like to continue to, con- I, no matter what, I would want to control prevalence. Um, so the percentage of deer in, in, that, that have it, but then also the spread so that it's not going on to the next place. You know, one of the analogies that people have used is you keep a kid home, uh, you keep a kid home from school and they're sick so they don't go and infect other, other kids. And, and we're kind of at the point here where uh, on the north edge of the, of the spread of CWD that I'm trying to keep the kids home from school so that folks north of us, so their kids aren't getting sick, so their deer aren't getting sick. Does that make sense? No, it makes total sense, man. Again, Doug, well, I, 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 yeah, well, you're on all the time. We'll have you on again to talk more about this. Uh, forgive the have to do over the phone, but like I said, I got an email from Doug that said, this is an email I'd never thought I'd need to write to you, which is not how I like to start my morning. Well, I, oh, Doug, are we, yeah. do we still, uh, we still love each other, right? I love you, man. I really do. And, and I appreciate this. Um, I appreciate the call and, and the opportunity and, um, and, uh, yeah, I, I apologize for being a little heavy handed with some of that, but I, um, you know, as I think I told you, I've gotten a lot of contacts about it. And every time I did, I got a little more upset with you more than I should have. And I tried to get people, and I hope some people have written to Meat Eater because I said, look, let them know, not just me. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a dumb but, thing to say. It was, it was, I was, I was making a point. But, I should have said what really yeah. scares me or what especially scares me, but yeah. Yeah. And I, um, I, I also want to say that in the, of all of the work that you've done in conservation and, and, and everything you've done for conservation and the voice that you are, it's pretty hard to, to, to fault you when it, we're talking about 30 seconds of time in a, in a really a lifetime career. And, uh, so, um, that's, I guess that's part of the, part of the deal, but, um, I appreciate the opportunity and, you know, I love you like a brother. As uh, as the case with some of those other guys there, so um, thanks very much. All right, thanks, Doug. We'll talk about it more. I just wanted to clear the air because I haven't been able to sleep at night, thinking either, he, thinking he didn't love me. <laughs> all right, okay. talk soon, Doug. <laughs> Bye. Uh, all right, we're whittling the way out of here, man. We got that taken care of. Now, Cal, who yeah. uh, do you want to tell your elk story? Or should I tell my elk story? Um, depends on uh, what you're looking for. You know, mine's a big fancy private land scenario yeah, and you're a you're a everyday man over mud the under counter the mud under the nails blue collar hero yeah let's yeah. hear your fancy one um so i i got like very spoiled spoiled kid um chance to go hunt 
a big private ranch that is owned and operated by the Nature Conservancy in eastern Oregon. It's called the Zumwalt Prairie Preserve. And their mission statement out there is to preserve um, the last um, largest contiguous chunk of bunchgrass prairie, uh, bunchgrass prairie ecosystem. And it is uh, really gorgeous. It's right outside of uh, Joseph and Enterprise, Oregon, um, which I understand are getting like more popular with um, like uh, your uh, Portland tourist crowd out there so folks are kind of starting to discover that area and i actually have some friends with a ranch in that same spot so i've been traveling out there uh you know every other year or so and and it is big uh like feeder stream tributary country for uh snake river hell's canyon okay and it's like big so you have those big flat top plateaus and then these big banded kind of cliff band grassy drops all the way down into like really dried um kind of desert country yeah it's that stuff that it's like those one of those areas where you feel like you're in the mountains because there's so much topography but then you realize there's no like uplift oh yeah you it's get just like a big flat thing like, it's like a flat thing that's been washed away rather than a jaggy thing that's been shelved up yeah i mean it's yeah you could travel the tops in a mountain bike you know with with no trail almost so um but so they're they're it's this big private chunk with an access component. There are uh, cow elk hunters starting out there. Uh, the same time I was, the opening day in that uh, area is August twenty fourth. Really, August twenty fourth. Dude, yeah. that seems like early be hunting, man. Hunting it elk. is, but um, like in Alaska, they're full swing by then. But here, it seems feels weird. I'll tell you, Colorado that. starts archery elk in August. Are they hard horned? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we we spotted a few that were like still had plenty uh, velvet okay. hanging off of them. Yeah, you know, but they had started to shed. It was it was cool, um, but um, big bachelor groups of bulls and uh, not all playing grab ass yet. There was like a little bit of that winding up, and it. I mean, I would tell anybody who can, you know, I mean, you got to diversify and like watch those animals every opportunity you get because it's just like really neat interesting herd dynamic stuff when all those bulls are together and where you can see like how everybody beds down and the biggest bulls are like so covered up by everybody oh really yeah like i'll take the middle boys yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) exactly you know that spot right next to the rock that you can't really see what's coming up behind you why don't you take that (laughs) i'm gonna be down here in this hole um and then, yeah, like they'd get up and stretch and then they'd like look at each other and go over there and like gently, gently tap antlers together for, for and then they'd be like, oh, I'm going to eat some more. Yeah. Um, and then, but then get like real aggressive on a tree uh-huh. and then somebody, it was just interesting. You could just like see the wheels starting to turn like, oh, God, that makes me want to do something, but I know it's not quite <laughs> time yet. And it's super fun. And I, I I'll tell you, you never felt like such a bugling pro because every, I would say 80% of my bugles were responded to. Like they're just getting to where they feel like they want to bugle. Yeah. And so you'd like, you'd bugle and be like, blue, blue, blue. But you know, <laughs> nobody's like, what did you say? It's all like, yeah, I'm over here. <laughs> you know? But they're not like running toward you. Oh, no, no. Uh, but they, was, like, they like doing it. Yeah, it was, <laughs> I mean, it was fun. 
And uh, certainly not a situation where you have that monkey on your back, like, boy, I only got a couple of days and I haven't found elk yet. Yeah. You know, like it was, it was pretty amazing. Uh, one spotted a couple of raghorn bulls underneath a tree, went over there, checked them out and started oh, looking got around. Got close to them? And there's like 16 bulls in there. Man. 16. You know, you're just like, oh my God. Like giants too or what? Um, so according to, uh, Chad Dotson, who is a preserve steward. So if you have an antlered tag mm-hmm. out on the preserve, you have to be accompanied by a preserve steward. Okay. Um, for what purpose? Uh, I think it's, it's purely because those tags are, um, such high value because they're, they're used as, um, uh, fundraiser tags for, um, uh, all these local, so basically it's set up, um, like a grant. So Mm -hmm. all the, uh, charities in that area can basically apply for one of these tags to then use as a major fundraiser for that group. But they want to prevent what from happening? Well, I think it's, it's more of like, Hey, you have this very special thing. We want to make sure it's a special thing for you to kind of maintain the value of the tag. Um, and so the preserve stewards go out and they're like, you know, I would probably hold off on shooting that bull because if we just look a little bit longer, we're going to find something bigger and something older. Yeah. Presumably they know all the property boundaries and yeah, yeah, definitely know the property boundaries and, and, um, the, uh, they get elk living a long time out there too. And like uh, individual elk getting old. Yeah. And they, yeah. um, part of the deal out there, like if you're a rifle hunter, you got to use non-lead ammunition. Um, everybody's required to, uh, there's a big, uh, survey questionnaire that you got to fill out. Um, after the hunt, you got to send in, um, a tooth so they can biopsy it. Gotcha. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's all, it's super neat stuff and, and really cool program. And didn't you trip and fall and almost land on a bear skull? Yeah. 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 Which was just like a total. So the interesting part here is, yes, I, I shot an elk, turned out to not be a good shot. Like the interesting stuff came after. And, um, so I shoot, uh, the bull. It was a 24-yard shot. How was it not a good shot? I thought it fell right off. Yeah, yeah. But this is like all this after-the-fact stuff. So, you know, I have this great shot, have all the time in the world, take my time, well within my comfort range. Hunt with your recurve bow. This was with the longbow. Okay. Um, And I shoot, the bull reacts. The sound of the arrow hitting the bull it was very familiar as like, that sounds like a very good shot. Um, like sounded like bone and lung. And, you know, cause it kind of had that like crunch mm-hmm. kind of sound to it. Um, that was my like little deflation type sound. <laughs> and, um, and the, this is a huge bodied bull and he's got this really distinct old man bugle. Um, but then when he stepped out, he's not, like not that big of a antlered bull. Um, but it was, you know, too good to pass up. And uh, the bull reacts like he is immediately falling over. And he 
runs and this is on a very steep slope, like I said, like on the edge of the canyon. And uh, he reacts like he's falling over the whole time and running faster than any healthy animal would down this slope. Then all of a sudden somehow hits the brakes, makes a 90 degree turn, takes a couple of steps on this, what turns out to be a game trail and disappears from sight. Um, at that point, I'd ripped a big bugle. Uh, yeah, my theory is like bugle, particularly with big bulls after they're hit, um, because I find that they react better to like their anger, sense of anger. Like they like hear, you might, thinking you might pause him, thinking that another bull hit him. Yeah, right. Um, and so he, and he turned and hit that trail, went out of sight. And I'm waiting, and then I hear crack, boom, boom, <laughs> boom, 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 boom. And I kind of like laughed to myself, like, yeah, it sounds like you fell all the way to the bottom. Har, har. And, and he had. He had, yeah. So there, the, and there's a lot of logistics talk on this. Boston antlers all the way down and whatnot. It is pitch black by the time I start trailing, but because of that crashing noise, I'm very confident that I'm going to recover the animal. Um, you know, up until now, like everything's like out of a dusty playbook, right? I'm like, oh yeah, this scenario. So go down. I, I find it was actually easier to track in the moonlight, um, oddly enough, or not in the headlamp light, um, because like there's so much elk sign over there. But, like, the big digger marks of this bull running so crazy just seemed to pop out yeah. more in the headlamp. More and, in the light. Yeah. And, uh. Um, more in the headlamp more, or more in the moonlight? More in the headlamp. It was pitch black. There was no okay. moonlight. Yeah. I oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I misspoke. And, uh, so I'm tracking him and then I find the arrow. And I'm like, uh-oh, that's not good. First of all, I'm like, I am the best tracker in the world. I found the arrow and the pitch black and then I look at the arrow and I'm like I am a terrible shot because where'd you hit him uh I ended up hitting him in the front low on the front left leg so I mean the bottom uh basically like the bottom of the shoulder um above above the elbow um and uh that leg broke oh but it didn't break on impact. It broke when he, this is all right. My assumptions here of the data I collected, but it broke once he took a couple of steps on that game trail. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I have the bone with the broadhead in it and there's a big spiral fracture up and the break was actually below the impact of the broadhead. And then that, sent that bull tumbling downhill. That caused him to fall off the cliff. And he fell off three cliffs. And I'm, you know, I'm picking my way down through this stuff, but that whole bull, and this is the biggest bodied elk I have ever, certainly ever taken myself, but that whole bull was, you know, somewhere between six and 10 feet off the ground three different times. Oh. And, uh. I had to have with a mountain goat one time. We wound up with like, 13 pounds or something to meet. This was the, I wish I could, I do wish I could somehow contextualize this properly and then, and then show the pictures online because the, the trauma is, is just ghastly. And 
uh, I did make the comment. I'm like, man, I wonder if Oregon Fish and Game would slip me a cow tag because I don't yeah. know if any of this is going to be usable. But the rock slides um, that the bull had to have gone through, he was traveling so fast that there was very, very little blood. Um, there was zero hair, which I found just unbelievable. Um, but I, at first, like, I'm like, well, this is the way he had to go. And I can't find any sign of it. It's all active rock slides. So they're all smooth. Yeah. And, uh, and then I see this rock that looks like somebody hit it with a hammer, you know, like all chipped white and broken. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what is odd? And then I look. I'm shining the headlamp around and I can see the bright white inside of uh, an antler. Like the core of the antler is shining bright white. Yeah. And it's like reflective almost. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, here's a chunk of an antler. And then there's a chunk of an antler. And then there's no a chunk of an way. antler. And then I, I can see like more busted rock, just same same way. Like you're just whacking it with a hammer every 10 feet. And then I can see the roots of a tree tipped over and I'm like, oh, well, that's fresh. And then, yeah, that was like really every bit of 10 feet, but I'm trying to like. Like his body hit the tree and uprooted the tree. Yeah. And then off this major cliff and then, and I have to like jump down probably like a five foot drop section and I'm trying not to fall and slide off. And I look between my feet and there's like a pinky size tip of a horn tip of an antler tip right in between my feet. And I'm like, oh, one piece at a time. Um, like that Johnny Cash song. And uh can't stand that song. It's fitting under these circumstances, man. And uh and yeah, so then I continue down the slide path, but it's just so odd, right? And it's like that when you're tracking at night. I'm like, okay, here he's gonna be. And then he's no elk. I'm like, there's just, it's not, I have dropped so much elevation, right? And I'm always like very hesitant to drop elevation unless I really know. But I, I'm, so I'm crossing little side gaps off the list and then going down and then all of a sudden go through this next cliff band and I slip and fall hard and I look over with my headlamp and there's this bare skull just grinning at me. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Gets awful ominous, man. Yeah, bad omen. Oh, man. Warning, warning. It really gave me a stop, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like that bear had laid down and died right there because it is just perfect. And like the canine's sitting there, eyes looking at me, or the eye socket's looking at me. And he says, your bull is gone. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, I just, it was like, what put you and me here at the same time? Same time, like you should spot I shouldn't be or something. And so, yeah, that kind of just threw me for a loop. Um, cause when do you ever see that? And, uh, I'd go a little bit further at that point. Um, uh, Chad and, uh, Lauren yeah. had, uh, gotten all the way around to the bottom. So they'd gone all the way to the back and I was like, Hey, grab my chainsaw. Um, grab, you know, here's like the list of things. What the hell did you want a chainsaw for? 
because I didn't know the condition of the two-track road in the bottom. Oh. Um, if we could use that saw to, like, cut some dead timber out of the way or just yeah. make things easier, you know. And they had to go through there anyway, so I figured, why not? Um, and, you know, at this point, I'm, like, 200 yards off the bottom, like, the bottom bottom. And Chad starts hiking up and about a hundred feet from like the actual creek bottom is that bowl all piled up. And so he actually got to him before I did. In a total mess. Yeah. In, in a, in a total mess, man. And just, yeah. So that bowl could have been a six by six, but now it's a two by three, two by four. If the way it broke you would count like the continuation of the main beam as a point. <laughs> there was the sheared off part of the main beam as a point. Yeah. So, um, what a disaster. Yeah. And the thing is huge. Like it is a huge bowl and man start cutting that thing. And like, and I made the, the comment, I'm like, man, it looks like you got shot with a shotgun. Cause it's just like peppered from that ride down the mountain. And uh, so I, I start at the anus, right? And I'm cut up and I start peeling that hide back. And it, you know, all these bulls I've been watching through the phone scope and like watching for days. And I'm just remarking the whole time how fat they are. Oh my God, look at the fat. Like you can see it ripple, mm-hmm. you know, and that's just not something you see even early in that typical archery season because they've been doing a lot of running and um and this fat is like obliterated it is particulate fat oh yeah like that was the cushion and it is a mess and it's god awful and i'm just sick to my stomach but um then you kind of get through that that layer of fascia um right above the meat and everything started looking clean um but i just yeah the the pictures are yeah, I mean, I sent you guys, I think Giannis is like, what am I looking at? It's just like, but like the anus was blown out of it. All the ribs were broken uh, right below the spine on hmm. one side. On the opposite side, when I started to cut the loin out, um, I made like half a cut in that fascia layer and the loin just dropped into my hands. Like it had completely, Separated. it had detached from the spine and the ribs. Um, you know, I, t- I think I told you probably 10 times, but when I had that mountain goat that fell 1200 feet, its skull was open, its brain was gone and no. I found its lung tucked, tucked up between its shank and its hide no way. on his ankle. Ugh. Yeah, man. No skinning, no necessary skinning cuts. The hide had completely separated. It was just held on by the hooves. Wow. Uh, uh, but yeah, so I didn't. It, it, this is just kind of one of those things, right? It's like, uh, uh, who knows? Like the thing, it's just I found a, there's not a lot. Losing, there's not like a lot of lessons to learn here. I think the lesson is like, had you just taken it at face value, and like not been a heart eater, you would have been like, oh, slipped her through the shoulder and whacked him in the heart. But I dug the heart out, and I'm like, there is definitely not a broadhead hole in this thing. Mm-hmm. Um. I did find bruising inside the heart and oh, I, I asked the... an EMT buddy, I'm like, you, uh, figure like if there's a cardiac arrest type situation, there'll be bruising inside the heart. And, uh, he said, typically it comes from a blockage 
outside the heart. And so there's not bruising inside the heart, but maybe somebody can write in and let us know about that. I'm like, really old elk freaked out, had a heart attack. And that's, uh, you know, but. So you're, you're saying this because you don't know what killed it. The, the arrow placement may have killed it eventually, but it didn't kill it that fast. And he slipped and fell. The lesson to be learned or the takeaway for me, right, is like, you aren't as good as you think you are with that bow because you definitely made a mistake. Yeah. So um, that's that's a good lesson, and I got really freaking lucky, man. So did you try any of the meat yet? Uh, all I have all I have eaten is the heart, and then uh, I had a couple of friends in town um, that weekend, and they helped butcher, and so I sent them with some of the meat, um, and they they were there for the butchering job, but like inside those loins – there would be um, just if they, it looked like actual like burst blood vessels in there. Yeah, and so they um, they actually um, on, they were cam- they're like camping across the country, and uh, they cooked cooked it up, and they said it was really good, exceptionally tender. <laughs> but yeah, man, I mean, and that's I'll take a pack of that. That's yeah, definitely the. I don't know. I, I, I want another takeaway is like, you just, you're never, as long as you hunt as many of these scenarios as you see, they're all unique and you're mm-hmm. never going to get to a point where you're like, oh yeah, I've seen that. Let me tell you what happened. You know? So I, I like that part yeah, of it. Last but, time I had a big bull fall off a cliff. <laughs> yeah. But we figured, um, you know, every, every bit of 600 vertical feet that bull went. So. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. You think about that, Phil, the engineer? Uh, I don't know. If it were on tracks, it'd be a fun roller coaster. That's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> That's the best Phil's got. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you like that story? Yeah, yeah. It was great. I had heard some of, some of it before, but uh, the bear skull was new. Like, you like that yeah, touch? That was a good one. Oh, yeah. Good. So you're enjoying yourself down there? Yeah. Having a great time. Good. Hey, everybody. I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who over recent months I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it. It is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, Watch that video. And in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people, 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. Rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. 
Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. What's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's how, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know, they seem great to me. Just an improvement on perfection. The new system made in the USA... Gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like You still slide stuff right across the deck it doesn't catch on the d-rings the d-rings are built in the drawer system fits any trucker van on the road in the usa from the last 20 plus years deck is a game changer there's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you the stuff i want in my truck is in my truck out of the way and secure go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping and it's so hot you know we we got that thing back and got the meat all hung up cooling um uh, 3 a.m. was probably in bed by 4 a.m. Yeah. That's, that's what you sign up for when you're shooting bulls at night in the, in the heat, right? Yeah, yeah. So I hate doing that too. Like I've, I've called her quits early many nights because I'm like, man. Just don't feel like doing that whole yeah. situation. Yeah. Man. Um. I know next week when we're hunting elk together, I sure hope you kill one in the morning. It makes <laughs> life that much easier. Well, that's, that's the story I'm going to tell right now about me and my brother went out elk hunting. You could start off by saying, uh, let me tell you how it should be. Done. Let me tell you how it should work. <laughs> so we, uh, opening morning here, just not too long ago, oh, a week ago, whatever the hell it was, a little over a week ago. Um, no, a week will be tomorrow. Week tomorrow. Well, it opens on Saturday, and we on Friday night, not filming, just out monkeying around like the old days. We on Friday night, in the afternoon, start. Uh, we had we had uh, his llamas with us. We had four pack llamas, and we started hiking up into the mountains to an area he wanted to go and hit. Um, and we start in the afternoon. It's raining. It's all muddy and just kind of nasty. But we knew he had a good day. Such nasty weather that I was even looking at you guys going, man, you might want to change directions yep. change locations. Because it looked like a real shit day to walk into the Oh, mountains. start, when you got to like get, when you get out of the truck and it's pouring rain and you're going back in for a couple nights, it's hard. I was like, oh, really? But then you can't back out because then what's the point of being alive? 
So we start going, um, and we get into an area where he thinks like he's expecting we should be seeing something, seeing, hearing something, seeing something. But then it's like hard to rule out because it's like, well, it's raining. At first he's like, man, the rain's really putting them down, you know, like they're not out. But then all of a sudden it was like, like the, the skies part. And it's like this beautiful evening. And we're sitting there as it gets dusk and we got a good vantage and there's just like nothing, nothing. So when it gets dark and we kick around like, man, you know, maybe they'll be out in the morning, but we decided to keep walking and we walked another couple hours through the dark and um, got to the point where we were about seven miles from where we parked. And then we, we were starting to hear some ripping, um, like good bugling. And set up and slept there for the night. Got up in the morning and just kind of like got out at eight in the morning. Not eight in the morning, but we ate breakfast in the morning. You know what we ate? You know, uh, God, it was pretty damn good, man. Was it a bunch of sinew and no, scraps? And no, it wasn't like normal, normal mat meal. <laughs> No, because I brought it. It was that, was that, what's the Heather's or Pantry? Oh, Heather's Choice. The breakfast? Dude. Dude, they're like rocket Dude, fuel. Dude, that was good, I man. Think. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. We ate some of those. I brought some of those. Yeah, and Matt normally would be eating like sinew. Oh, you know another quick Matt story? He doesn't normally eat, I don't think. He breakfast. doesn't like to eat. He uses, he still uses an old school alcohol stove, which I like. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was like, hey, you want me to grab my jet boil? And he goes, no, because I like it to be quiet because when I'm cooking, I want to listen for bugles. <laughs> and he uses the alcohol stuff because it makes zero noise. Like a yeah. jet boil's loud. Yes, but I would argue that it's so such an inefficient use of time that that jet loud jet boil. Sure, you might be not hearing something for about two minutes, <laughs> but you, at least you get to eat before ten p.m. Because you're waiting <laughs> on that alcohol stove, man. Dinner's late. Yeah, but he said I pressed him on it. He said I'm never in a hurry. And when I'm cooking, I want to listen for bugles. He just likes his alcohol stove. I didn't argue with him. He likes his alcohol stove. But he told me a great story. He carries with him a portable bow press. Have you seen one of these? Oh. It's like a cable with a little screw attachment on it that you can hand crank. He carries a portable bow press with him out in the woods. Somehow he got, he had ran into some problem and wished he had one. Oh, he was with his wife one time and something happened and his bow popped off the, came off one of the cams and him and his wife were able to wrestle that bow back into submission and got it re-strung. So then she goes out and buys him a portable bow press and he's working a group of elk. This is not our, this is, this is just him alone. He's out working a group of elk with, and he had his portable bow press that his wife bought for him with him. He's working a group of elk and slips on a rock in a stream channel and falls down and busts the peep sight off his bowstring. And he carries like basic stuff like anybody was, but he doesn't carry it like who carries an extra peep sight? Maybe I'm sure thousands, of, thousands of people do, but Not he doesn't me. have an extra peep sight. Check this out. He's way the hell back in the mountains. His peep sight broke. He starts looking around through all of his gear and realizes that the button on his pants has like that little rim around the periphery, okay? Mm-hmm. Hollows out the hole in the button on his pants. Takes his portable bow press and installs his pants button in as his peep sight and then shoots and kills a bull with it. Wow. Oh. 
God, that's some real MacGyver stuff right there. That's some woodsmanship. Yes, kills a bull with his pants button. Never say die. So anyhow, we get out in the morning and we start working these bulls, and we're we're like it was it was like you know like those days. It's like the days you dream of having, right? No one around. We got three bulls out in front of us ripping, and all of a sudden we're like trying to keep track of who's where. Cows going off, and all of a sudden there's another bull coming from behind us. We reposition. Like this, this new bull just like shows up out of nowhere, ah! bugling. He kind of sweeps through and sort of bypasses us, but like he's bypassing us because there's this whole circus going on out in front of us, right? And he's like coming to join the good times. But the main good times are the bulls that are in front of us, not us. And he kind of, but he still comes through, passes at a hundred yards, goes in to join the whole shit show going on out in front of us. Eventually, like some of these more vocal bulls, they seem to go up this slope. We're kind of looking down into a bottom, and we're like they kind of bugle up and over. And Matt, he knows the area a little bit, and he's like, "Man, he goes, I know, I bet I know where they're going." So. We circle around to try to get out ahead of him, thinking, like, we'll just get out ahead of him and try to set up again. And then we look across the drainage and find this other bull bedded down out in the open, like, and it's overcast. It's a cool day. And uh, he's just bedded out in the open with two cows feeding right next to him. And we get to looking at him, and we're like, man, that thing, the way he's positioned, like, the land features are such that you just know right where he is. Like, it's, like, so obvious where he is. And there's this cliff band behind him. And we just drop everything and circle back around. It takes us about 30 minutes. And we just know exactly where he is because the landscape features are like, you just can't mess it up. So we go back around and get up on this cliff band above him. And we know that we're 110 yards. We can tell we're 110 yards from where we know that bull's bedded. And I'm on top of this little rock pile cliff band. It's not big. You know, you could throw a rock, you know, and hit a grouse off the edge of the cliff band. It's not too far. But, uh, I'm up there, and Matt creeps down to the foot of the cliff band, thinking there's no way, you know, it'd take like a act of God, right, to call a bull up through this thing. But he gets down in there, and and he and he realizes once he's down, he goes, "Man, I feel like I could." He, he says, "I could recognize the tree that bull was on under," and I even thought I could see part of it, but wasn't sure I could see part of it. And I ripped a bugle, and he said he's still like he's still trying to be like, "Is that the bull?" He goes, the minute I bugle, that thing just stands up and bugles and is coming. Oh. Like, just coming. Coming so hard that he draws his bow back. Mm. It's because he doesn't want to have to get busted when he goes to draw his bow back. Did you even try cow calls? You went right no, to I the was bugle. doing the whole litany. I was doing a Yanni Patelis. But I it wasn't it. until you bugled that he came. The you were first thing I did, yourself? I feel like the first thing I did, I know the first thing I did was rip the bugle. I was doing a combo Yanni Phelps. The only thing that made it not a Yanni Patelis is I wasn't beating brush yet. But I was going to get to that in a minute. You hadn't rolled, you probably didn't want to roll any rocks and get laying on your brother's head. No, and I got his damn dog tied up. So (laughs) he hunts that little dog, and the dog's such a low riding dog, that little corgi, the elk can't usually see it anyway. And the dog, like, is the most obedient dog in the world. He, like, he goes so much as, like, to that dog, and that dog stands behind him and walks behind him. Like, the dog knows what's up. And he knows you're hunting elk. He's part of the team. Oh, part of the team. But because we got two of us and, and I'm calling and Matt's going out ahead, I grab that dog's collar and the dog attacks me. Because <laughs> he doesn't like to be far, he doesn't like to be far from Matt. 
So I took a chunk of paracord and tied a slip knot around that dog's neck so he couldn't get away without strangling himself, and I tied him to a bush. And at one point, I was trying to get a look down in there to see what's going on, and I leapt forward, and it broke broke the dog's heart because he's like, now that my owner's gone, now this guy's leaving too, and I'm tied to a noose. So then I backed up because I felt so bad for the dog. Just give me this horrible look. But um, yeah, so he said, as soon as I bugled, then I was, then I was calling too because then he starts bugling and I can hear him down there just ripping. So then I'm doing the whole, I'm just making the whole show. And Matt says he draws back, the bull crosses in front of him at 32 yards and he, he's going to walk right through. And Matt just gave him a little whistle noise just to, get, just to stop him. The bull stops and Matt shoots. And I hear like the shot. I hear the boom, the pumpkin thump. And I'm like, hell yeah, man. And I come running down, and Matt's all distraught. See, like, he didn't see the arrow hit. And he's like, man, I feel like if it, like, if it didn't hit where I was looking, I don't know where, you know. He's all worked <laughs> up. The dog keeps trying to trail the elk. The dog's, like, already gone. Because this, tra- this dog trails elk. He, like, this dog's incredible. Shifty. So he's, like, telling his dog to get back. And we went and took a nap on a rock. Um... And I'm laying there taking my nap. And at one point, I'm looking at dogs, just got his nose up in the air. And this dog is like dying to go. And he's like just sniffing air. And I sniff to him, I'm like, it smells like a dead, whatever a dead bull smells like. It smells <laughs> like a dead bull. It smells like hot blood bull. It's like the strongest, most potent elk smell you could smell. And even the dog's like, dude, what in the world? What are these guys doing? <laughs> and Matt's like curled up. I'm thinking about taking a picture of Matt sleeping on a rock in the fetal position. And, you know, you, you always go to negativity, you know, because it's the best place to go. Yeah. Uh, and meanwhile, the thing's just laying dead right there. Like it wrapped right. around the hill and fell over dead. And so when I'm laying there thinking like, my God, that smelled like the wind would shift and I'd just get this smell. I'm like, that has to be like an elk right there. We're laying like 40 yards from this elk. 40? I mean, it's just like right there. Yeah, because the way we went to find a rock to sleep on, like when he shot the bull, the bull wrapped around a little mound and we kind of went on the mound. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. But then we went, went, like, flat spot. Then we went like back down off the mound, found the blood trail, and basically wrapped around in a half loop to like back around like, almost like where we just were. And we're going, at first there's no blood. Matt's like, I knew it. I blew it. I'm the worst person on the planet. Then all of a sudden there's like a big pile of blood. And I'm thinking, because I'm already in a spot of negativity, feeding off his negativity. Like, you know when you get a bad hit on something that – there's like no blood, but then you find blood and it's only because it stood there for yep, an hour right. trying to figure out what's going on. And then you find that pile of blood and then you're like, this will be the last blood we find. Because he stopped and stood here for 45 minutes seeing what's going on. And then he clots up and walks off and it was just a muscle wound. And we see this big pile of blood. And then I almost got like a more negative feeling because I was like, oh, he stopped and stood. It's never good when they stop and stand. But then I look, and the dog's licking up a pile of blood that looks like the size of a TV tray. <laughs> and the dog's, like, just eating blood. And then the dog moves along, and I look, and here's the bull all tangled up. I mean, this thing was like, we were, like, taking a nap on it. Like, it was just, like, right, it's all, like, very confined. Like, it was all this right there. He's just, like, laying there dead or dead. I don't know how we didn't hear it pile up. Oh. Got it all cut up. And Matt have any uh, he, he gave me a hug. response? He gave me a hug. He wanted to have a hug. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. He gave me a long hug. Meanwhile, the damn dog doesn't even realize the elk's standing there because the, do- the dog likes to eat all the blood as it goes along. <laughs> so it's like lapping up blood. Bulls laying there. Everybody's all happy. Had a big hug. Cut it all up. Went and got his llamas. Um, brought it back to where we were sleeping. Hung it up in a tree. Just get the elk hung in a tree. Decided, let's go have a look. Worked another bull. Ugh. 
screaming his face off. He comes in. I, I couldn't see him the way he came in. He probably came 70, 70 yards before he goals it off. Slept, woke up, and here's where, the, here's where the bad part of the story happens. All night I can't sleep because the bull's ripping. Like it's like they're it's like they're ripping in our oh. in our tent, man. Mm-hmm. And then cows keep getting like they know we're like sleeping there, so like you're like you fall asleep, and then all of a sudden there's one going <laughs> like warning barking, and you think like they're all gonna leave, but they like don't leave. Oh, it's a weird night. And I'm just like, dude, this is the most amazing thing. And we get up, and we have to be hunting in this place. Where there's a there's like there's seasonal motorized motorized use through this area. And it's, this, this is kind of such a weird story, man. I, I almost hesitate to get into it. There's an outfitter that hunts this area, but he does drop camp stuff. But mm-hmm. he has this very big-ass drop camp. And he generally hikes in hike hunters and sets up this big drop camp, and, and guys hunt out of this big drop camp. Somehow this guy, he used to not allow dudes to do this, but somehow he opened it up and allows motorcycle guys now. Like a, a, a horse pack in drop camp inhabited by guys on dirt bikes. Yeah, that doesn't fit. It's just, right, whatever, whatever. He used to yeah. not allow it, now he allows it. Right. Okay? So he'll pack in a big, he'll pack in his wall tents and everything, establish this big base camp where he can go fetch elk on mules, but then guys can ride into the camp on dirt bikes because they're scared of grizzlies. So they like to have a big, elaborate place to go sleep at night where they don't have to be scared of grizzlies. They don't want to sleep out, like just out in the mountains. They want to sleep at like a big place with all this hubbub going on. Yeah, and he's got a big, uh, he's got a big electric fence around the camp. Yeah. Right? So these yeah. guys, these dirt bike guys, are scared of grizzlies, but they want to hunt the area. One of these guys was saying once that he can't even go, uh, he can't even go drop a deuce without bringing someone with him. He's so scared of grizzlies. Oh. So here's that's not the, a, that's not a comfortable. Uh, experience. No, and we're in this meadow and these elk been ripping all night in this meadow and we get up in the dark and we're getting, we go up into the edge of the timber. So we're looking down and we're like, okay, as soon as the light comes up, we're going to see what's going on and, and make a plan. And all of a sudden, <laughs> and again, man, this trail's open up until something, it, it's seasonally open, it's not to like quads. September 15th it's seasonally open to, to dirt bikes. And Matt's like, he just wants to drift off the trail. And I'm like, I'm like mildly annoyed. And I stop and express my annoyance to the dirt biker. But it's like, I feel bad about it because it is legal. But it's like, it'd be legal for me to be up there with a marching band. Uh, as long if as you guys are just out having no, fun. If I determined that it was most effective to hunt with a marching band, it would be legal for me to be up there with a marching band. It's not illegal. As long as you're not having like a gathering for uh oh because i'd be oversized yeah okay i could legally be up there with a five-man marching band yeah. with a trumpeter like uh, the cavalry. i could have a trumpeter yes. i could have the cavalry i'm not breaking law so it's like we're not debating legality it's not it's like sure there's all kinds of stuff that's legal but is it smart when you're in like the prime and, and i know where they're camp there's elk we're in it the elk eventually move out but they're in it like is that smart like, or is it better to maybe wait till 11 in the morning and do your travel on a motorcycle and not it's, blow through? And you can't, and here's the thing. It's hunting when, spots or hunting elk, right? It's like you, when you're, when you're on it, you can't hear bugling. So you're blowing through 
you're bl- you're like you're blowing through a meadow where elk are ripping and you don't know they're ripping. Yeah. It just Yeah, but just, the guy the guy's hunting a spot. He's not hunting right. elk, right? So he's like, I go to this spot and there's usually elk there. So I gotta get to that spot. And by making that choice, you have then eliminated for most circumstances, you've you've eliminated hunting elk in the transition zone between trailhead and the the spot that you're going yeah. to. Yeah. No, I feel horrible about it. I feel horrible about Did it. Did you ask the guy? Yeah, what you yeah, said, him? where are you camping? I said, right here. But did you ask the guy what his uh, motivation was to be rip, ripping on the dirt He said he's headed edge? off. He goes, oh, don't worry, because we're headed. But yeah, I mean, how would he know? I just feel bad about it. I feel bad about it. It is, because I've been at uh, trailheads. I, I killed a, a bull. Not a, we're, nowhere near, we're, we're nowhere near yeah. a trailhead. Um, but I started at a trailhead with oh, okay. a guy unloading his motorbike, and I'd throw on my backpack and start as if to go down the trail, and the guy's like, well, where are you going? I'm like, well, I'm heading down the trail until I hear a bugle. Well, I was going down this trail. <laughs> I was like, man, you can... I, I knew that country very well, and I'm like, you can... Drive 150 miles on this trail. <laughs> I'm like, um, it I'm just not, goes and goes and circles yeah, around. I'm not, I'm not going to get that far. Yeah. I'm like, I'm sure you're going to get further than I am. Um, you know, and it's pitch black and, and, um, I, ne- I never did see the guy that, that day, but went about, um, several miles further than I should do. And, and I killed a bull that morning. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I still don't know. I feel, like I said, I feel guilty about it because, like, you know, I feel guilty about it, but I also feel like, come on, man. Yeah, but, I mean, that's the nice part, though, is you know that they're going to miss plenty of opportunities using that means of travel, and they're going to find opportunities that you're not using that means of travel. Yeah, the smart thing would have been just to do it, just to slip off, just to ghost off the trail. And then rip a big old bugle. What if he wasn't hunting? And he just decided to be at dawn. I wouldn't have cared at all. Right. There's plenty of dudes in those little evil Knievel suits driving those trails and during the daytime in motorbikes. I would It's like that's not even that's not my business. It's like yeah. There's plenty of pleasure riders, but the thing, the assumption you make is like they're usually in the cold gray light of dawn. They're not out, right? They kind of go. They're like they ride out in the daytime. Pleasure cruising. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what struck me as weird. Is like, you're hunting. You're hunting. That Zoomwalt deal, we would get up at normal, way early archery elk season hunting time. Mm-hmm. You know, 4 a.m. wake up, and then basically have, get our gear ready, get uh, sandwiches ready for the day, have a couple cups of coffee, wait for it to start getting light. And then get going, just based off the fact that we know if we tried to go anywhere at night, we'd be bumping elk the whole time. Yeah. You know? Me and Yanni were in the exact opposite situation yesterday where we were, we went out in the morning out to a state chunk to do some rifle shooting. We met up there at 7.30 a.m. to do some gun shooting. And it turns out there, there, there was some dudes trying to bow hunt the state section. And they came and expressed their, one of them came and expressed his displeasure. Yeah. 7.30 in the morning? You got to come out shooting guns? Yeah. Early yeah. Se- early September? Fair elk point. season? 
Multi-use. And we're kind of like, yeah, 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 I got you, I got you. It's like, I wasn't like, it's legal. <laughs> I was like, yeah, those kind of make me feel no, a little bad. It kind of makes yeah. me feel like a dick. Yeah, no, for sure. And the thing is, too, like, if there had been any sign, I think, that somebody was haunting it, we probably would have made plan B. Definitely. You know, but there, we had no idea. No, and if I had known, you know, but then I was like, you know, it's just, you have these weird interactions. You, it, it's, it'd always be better if someone could tell you, hey, tomorrow you're going to have a weird interaction, and here's what's going to happen. Then you could plan out like, oh, here's what I'll do when I have that interaction. I'll be real cool. Yeah. And I'll have, you know, I'll express this complex. That wouldn't be much fun. <laughs> no, instead you're like, ah, ah, it's legal. <laughs> ah. Ugh. One last question here. I know we got to wrap it up. Yeah, I'm done. But um, did you miss your uh, production crew? Out no, there no. J- just your brother and no. Shifty? No, didn't miss anything about it. <laughs> I took some cell phone videos. It was so good being back out with my brother. Yeah. I, uh, Dude, yeah. it was so good. That's why I didn't even want to shoot. Just wanted to, have, you know, let him, you know. Oh, it was fun. Part of you wasn't thinking if I just nose over this cliff a little bit, I might be able to snag that bull out from the uh, front I, I was enjoying myself so much I didn't want to shoot. That's awesome. I love it. Dude, it was fun, man. He's a good hunter, man. Yeah. He's a good hunter, like, just because of like, the, just the, grrr. I love Matt, but An he sounds like a headcase out there. An, an enormous amount of grrr. Sounds like a head case, though. Oh, Sounds yeah. like he does a lot of, like... Dude, he's... The bulls have him beat before he gets on the trail a lot dude, of times. no, he's like Mad Jack. Remember Grizzly Adams? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like a crazy guy wandering the hills, <laughs> man. I'm sure these guys... I'm sure people are like, oh, and there's an insane person that wanders the hills out here. You'll see him. He uses an alcohol stove and takes his time cooking. <laughs> yeah, likes to listen for bugles. <laughs> he's got a button for a peep. <laughs> he's yes. got his pants button for a peep site. <laughs> you'll know his camp because there will be... <laughs> 50 half-gallon bottles of vodka and gin strewn about. But he's not drinking at all. No, he... Just for carrying water. That's one of the things I laughed about is because <laughs> he, when he packs in his llamas, they, got no, they don't have that much to carry. So he packs in tons of water and he drinks gin and tonics. And so all of his water bottles are two-liter tonic bottles and, and half-gallon vodka bottles. <laughs> and if you look, you can see the ratio. When he empties his, his panniers out, you can see the ratio of like his ratio of vodka, like... It takes him like three. It takes him like three two-liter bottles of tonic to get through a half gallon of vodka. So the ratio is like fixed. It'd be like six half gallons of vodka and eighteen bottles of tonic, all full of drinking water, in a pile. He just like throws them in a big pile. You boys looking to have a good time, are you? Wow. If you rolled in, you'd be like, "What are these?" Alcoholics, but they're all like you can tell he's been using all these bottles for like a season Years. or two. <laughs> Years. I one time got him turned down to these army water bottles. He had some reason he didn't like them. Like he didn't like it. He's like he much prefers a good two liter bottle with the label still on it. <laughs> oh. Dude, he's a good hunter, man. He's a good hunter. He's a good hunter because he's like methodic. He's just a good hunter because just like the gur. He just. Just goes and goes and goes and doesn't care. It's like you could be like, oh, you know, if you woke up and someone stole his boot, right? He'd just be like, oh. 
Yeah, too but bad. he's prepared for the, he's prepared <laughs> he's for like, that. Too bad my boots gone, and he would just still hunt, man. You know, be like no, he's prepared for that with the way at the rate that he loses pieces of gear. He usually has two or three pairs of footwear with him. Yeah, he'd like kill a llama and wrap its hide around his foot and hunt another couple days. Yeah, that guy cracks me up, man. Gets it taken care of though. Uh, yeah, yeah, good job. That's probably the first bull you've ever called in for for a kill. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good job. No, I learned everything that I know. Feel, I learned everything good. I know from Yanni. It's a pretty nah, sweet uh, Montana that. homecoming, right? That's your first. Yeah, because we used to go out and just try to get out. And we killed elk like that, but just go out and get out in front of them. And then that doesn't work and get out in front of them. But, dude, it's so much more fun. Oh, yeah. So calling. much more fun. Cool, cool. So much more fun. Things last longer. Oh, yeah. When I first met you, you, fi- you thought that calling elk just made him run the other direction. Well, it did for us. <laughs> <laughs> we had those, the same primos bite and blow call everybody else had, and we didn't know how to use it. You'd, like, blow that, and it always answer with a, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> you hear that? <laughs> oh, that's good, Yanni. That was a good warning. Do your yeah. warning call again. Oh! Oh, sends shivers Jeez, up my spine. Good. Do your far-off bugle. <laughs> There it is. Mm-hmm. There it is. Um, it. Oh, hey, real quick, Anthony, can you plug Whitetail Weekly? Yeah, if you uh, haven't signed up yet for Whitetail Weekly, go to com and do so. This is our new weekly newsletter that is all things Whitetail. Um, we're going to be ramping up a ton of deer hunting coverage this fall. Uh, if you get this in your uh, mailbox every week, you will see the cool stuff, what's going on, videos, um, we have a whole bunch of series coming out, uh, a lot of good stuff. So Whitetail Weekly, go to TheMeatEater.com and sign up. And also uh, the final episode of Das Boat, our fishing show, available yeah. on YouTube. If you go in and type in like Das Boat Meat Eater. Yep, you'll find it. You'll find it. You'll Six find episode it. series. Six episode series, yeah. on our You can find it on, a, on our website um, or you could go to YouTube and find it there. Last episode will be coming out. Or it probably will be out by the time yes. you yeah. hear this for Absolutely. sure. And then you can just, yeah. you don't have to wait like all the suckers that just started watching it when we started releasing. You can, you can just go watch. and binge it, man. Yeah, Get man. it done you, in one night. Yeah, you can Netflix that shit. I don't mean that, but I mean you can go watch it all. That's right. All right. Thank you. guys don't know about it yet but we just kind of uh, are announcing this today that uh we here at meat eater bought a farm what we're going to eventually do at this farm is a is a surprise that'll come out in time but what we're doing first off is we're gonna take one lucky winner out to hunt with me and mark Kenyon on this farm it's in michigan we're trying over the next you know couple years here to turn it into a wildlife paradise not just turkeys and deer pollinators birds everything man we want to make it bloom we want to hunt there with you if you want to hook up with me and mark Kenyon and win this hunt and come hang out we'll eat wild game at night we'll hunt all day we'll do all kinds of fun stuff for a few days go to themeateater.com slash win a hunt and then you'll be able to come out and hunt our new farm with me and mark Kenyon, and we will have some fun and hopefully 
get some good action in. Check it out, TheMeatEater.com slash WinAHunt. Montana Casting Company is a performance fly rod and reel company based right here in our capital, Helena, Montana. Each model of fly rod is a tribute to Montana's rugged beauty and adventurous spirit. Their rods capture the look, feel, and craftsmanship of a custom-built fly rod. Scott personally calls every customer who buys one of his rods. Head to montanacastingco.com and use code MEATEATER20 at checkout for a one-time 20% off discount. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the Decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to decked.com slash meat eater and get yourself some free shipping.